welcome everybody to Christmas at Cedar Creek. And as you can tell, we get pretty excited about the holidays around here. Uh, so much for us to celebrate as followers of Jesus, as, as a church. But one of the things that we are most excited about every year at Christmas is our Christmas offering for clean water. For the last seven years, in the month of December, we have received a special offering over and above our regular giving, and 100% of those funds have gone to provide safe, clean drinking water for people all around the world. And in the last seven years, you guys have given nearly $400,000 for clean water. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's like over $55,000 a year. And last year, you gave nearly $80,000, the second highest water offering we've ever had at Cedar Creek Church. And it's just amazing. It is a blessing to get to be a part of that. Now, you may be wondering, why water? I mean, yeah, water's a good thing, but why not do something different every year? There's so many different ways to help people that are struggling around the world. Why do we choose water? Well, to help us answer that question this morning, we have one of our Global Peace Partners. So will you join me in welcoming Kevin Herr from Water Mission? Come on out here, man. Yeah, get to running. Thank you, buddy. Great. So... First of all, for those of you that don't know, uh, Water Mission is actually a neighbor for us. They are located in Charleston, South Carolina, right down the road, and uh, they really specialize in water filtration. They, they got it on lock when it comes to treating water and getting it clean. In fact, we have some of their filters and displays at all of our campuses this morning and throughout the month of December. So I hope that you'll take some time today at your campus and look at that. So first of all, Kevin, thanks. I know you guys are busy. You've been in Mexico. You're all over the place. I know it's a busy time of year. So thank you all for coming and hanging out with us here at Cedar Creek. And I'm just going to welcome you here by putting you on the spot. <laughs> So why water? Why is that such a big deal? I Go. Think, yeah. <laughs> well, I think it's such a great question. And for me, as I think about what's important in life, I first look to Scripture. Ooh. And in Mark 12, you see Jesus answers this question when he's asked, what's the greatest commandment? And he says, the greatest commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with your mind, and with all your strength. He says, the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. And so as I think about what we can do as believers out of that overflow of our love for God and how can we make the most significant difference in somebody's life that's going to transform an individual but then also transform communities, it's water. I mean, you look at the most basic things in life, we need water in order to survive. And so in communities where they don't have access to safe water, you're going to do whatever it takes in order to get that. And that doesn't mean if you're going to walk miles and you're going to spend hours to do it, or if that water's totally contaminated, you are going to do what it takes and you're going to drink that water. And for many, many people around the world, that's a huge issue that causes them to get sick and for many young children to die. Actually, back in 1900, not many people realize this, but 1900 in the United States, gastrointestinal infections, mostly diarrhea caused by drinking dirty water, that was the third leading cause of death wow. in our own country. 
But now you'd be hard-pressed to find anybody that was actually getting sick and dying from drinking dirty water here. But globally, there's still 1.8 billion people in the world wow. that don't have access to safe water. So they're going to do what it takes. Two things that have really stuck out to me, stories from my experience with Water Mission. The first was when I was in Uganda a couple years ago, and we were with a group that supported one of the projects. We visited this project called Busalam that had been operating for a year. And we sat down with a safe water committee, wanted to see what it was like and what their experience was. And this one lady stood up, and her name was Sumaya. And she told me that before they had safe water, she and her daughters used to walk away from the safety of their community. And they would walk more than a kilometer down to the swampy area to get water from a spring. She said during that walk, three of her daughters had gotten attacked over time and ended up getting pregnant because of it. She said her life just felt like a disaster, like a tragedy. But the story didn't end there because she started to beam with joy because she said, now that we've had safe water, now my daughters are safe. We have eight access points throughout our community where people can collect water, so they don't have to worry about that anymore. Now my daughters are healthy. They don't get sick. They don't get diarrhea that they used to. She showed me her skin, and she was just overflowing at this point. She said, look now my skin. It's shining and beautiful. I mean, since you have accessible water, you bathe more regularly, and since it's safe, you don't get the skin diseases that they used to. And finally, she got on her knees saying, thank God for this project, and thank you for making it possible. And we're just in tears, thinking everything that you would want to see in someone's life, I mean, right here, that's transformation. And then water is the perfect metaphor for the gospel, because when you hold up a glass of dirty water, and then you have a glass of clean water, you talk about our lives being full of sin, and we meet Jesus. It's like going through that water system, and you come out pure and clean on the other side. You know that God has a plan and purpose, and he loves you. Mm. I mean, that is a crystal clear illustration. Yeah. So I just got back from Mexico on Friday, and we were visiting this project called El Encanto. And during this celebration, I was talking to a man. The project had been operating for two and a half years at this point. Mm. And they had had so far about 25 new believers had come and came into the kingdom because of these wow. Bible studies that they had led. Yeah. And so I started talking to this one man. He said because of the water system and this Bible study he got invited to, he came to faith, and then he led his wife to faith, and they led their daughter to wow. faith, who then led her husband to faith. And so you've got this whole family who had their lives transformed through what God is doing through water. Yeah. So it's a, an amazing thing, and we're so grateful for your generosity that's making not just a difference in the immediate now. You know, you drink safe water and you're going to be healthy. But it's making an internal difference right. in people's lives. So thank you. Thank you. We are thrilled. Yeah. We are thrilled. We're thrilled to partner with you guys and uh, just appreciate that. And uh, so with your permission, I'm going to take a moment just to pray for you, for your family, for all of the folks at Water Mission. But I, I also want to pray over this offering that we'll be taking up throughout the whole month of December because on our own we can give money but that's just money it doesn't transform lives you know what transforms lives the Holy Spirit and so I want to pray and ask God to take every penny that's given to bless it and use it for his kingdom's glory so let's just do that right now Father I just thank you for Kevin and his beautiful family I thank you for all of our peace partners who work in providing clean water. And more than that, Lord, have opportunity to share the truth of living water. You, Jesus. This is all for your glory. 
This is not about making Cedar Creek famous or Water Mission famous. It is all about making your name famous because you change lives, you and you alone. And we are humbled that we would get to participate in that. So bless this offering, bless this family, bless your work all around the world. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, man. Thanks, Kevin. Love you. I tell you, we just we get to work and hang out with some of the coolest people around. I, I just love that. I love being a part of this church family. So take out your message notes, and when you do, you will notice that our focus this Christmas is going to be on peace. All of our messages in the Christmas season, we're going to be talking about peace, which makes sense because peace is a big part of what we celebrate at Christmas, right? You see peace written on our Christmas cards. We sing it in our Christmas songs. We put it up in lights in our yard signs. I mean, peace is to Christmas what a shamrock is to St. Paddy's Day, right? It's just woven in to the fabric of the holiday. And it's been that way from the very beginning, right? You remember when the angels told the shepherds about Jesus' birth, the first thing they did was sing the first ever Christmas carol. And notice what they sing. Luke 2.14, there on your outline. Glory to God in the highest and on earth, what? Right, peace, goodwill to men. And not only did the angels sing about peace that first Christmas carol, But Jesus' birth announcement, written by the prophet Isaiah 400 years before Jesus was even born, declared that he would be the prince of peace. The the birth of Jesus is the promise of peace. Peace on earth and peace in our heart and in our lives. So I just have to tell you, my question this morning is what happened? What went wrong? Jesus was born over 2,000 years ago, and we're a lot further away from peace than we were even then, right? I mean, global conflict is a part of our nightly news cycle. Political and racial divisions have never been deeper in our country. Where's the peace? More people today are being diagnosed with anxiety disorder than at any other time in the history of our nation, including during the Great Depression and World War II. And when I talk about people being diagnosed with anxiety disorder, I'm not talking about us as stressed out, overworked adults. I'm talking about children as young as five or six years of age, being overwhelmed by anxiety. Where is the peace? Was the angel lying? Was the angel just caught up in the moment and being overly dramatic? Where's the peace? And can I just get real with you for a moment? For me, this Christmas, the idea of peace, of celebrating peace, It just sticks in my throat to sing about peace on earth when I have almost no peace in my heart right now. But but can I tell you 
in the brokenness of this journey that I am on, I am beginning to discover a deeper truth about Christmas. A truth that transcends the holiday cheer and celebration. And that is that the peace that Jesus brings is internal, not external. The peace we celebrate at Christmas is the peace that comes from what my life is anchored to, not how big the storm I'm going through. And the reason I say that is because 33 years after Jesus' birth, he spoke these words to his followers in John 14. He says, peace I leave with you, my peace, my peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. In other words, the peace of Jesus is not like the peace we try to find in this world. You can't find the peace of Jesus in the places where the world looks for peace. It kind of reminds me of that old country song, right? Looking for love in all the wrong places. And we often look for peace in all the wrong places. We try to find peace in things that cannot give us peace. And so this morning, I want us to spend just a few moments looking at three places where we try to find peace that always leave us empty. And then I want to look at the one and only place that you can find true peace in this life. And so if you notice there on your outline, we're going to start with places that you shouldn't look for peace. Number one, don't look for peace in your circumstances. Don't look for peace in your circumstances. Because can I just tell you, you won't find it there. Maybe for a moment, maybe for a season, but you won't find true, unchanging peace in your circumstances. See, I think one of the biggest mistakes we make is to try to find peace in our lives by trying to manage our circumstances. See, we have this tendency to try to develop in our external life what we want to feel in our internal lives. Let let me kind of explain to you what I mean. We all want to feel secure, right? We want to have security. So we start working on our circumstances to make us secure. So we try to get the right education, go to the right school, get the right job, make enough money to put a buffer between myself and difficult circumstances. We want to feel loved. We want somebody to love us and value us. And so we look for the right person to marry. And then we work really hard to make that marriage great. We all want the peace that comes from knowing that that our kids are going to turn out okay. And so we work hard to train them up in the way that they should go. We do all the things we know to do as parents so that, yes, our kids may struggle, but they'll be all right. But let me tell you, what happens when they're not okay? What happens when life is unfair? I've wrestled with this every day for the last three 
months. And peace is hard to find. But here is what I am discovering. Here is what I know that I know that I know. If you seek peace in your circumstances, your circumstances will eventually let you down. There's no peace in your circumstances. That's why Paul wrote these words in Philippians 4.12. He said, I have learned the secret of being content. That's peace, the secret of peace. And I've learned it in any and every situation. Circle that phrase, learn the secret. Do you know the secret that Paul learned about peace? Is that the peace of God is not built on the circumstances of our lives. So can I ask you to probe your own heart a little bit this morning and honestly think about where is it that you are seeking peace in your circumstances? What circumstances are you trying to manage right now so that you can feel the way you want to feel? For some of you, maybe it is your finances. For some of you, maybe it is your marriage or that relationship. For some of you, maybe it is the lives and futures of your kids. Now, please don't get me wrong. All of those are good things, and we ought to work hard. We ought to work hard and on our finances and be good stewards. We ought to work to have the best marriage possible. We ought to do everything we can to help our kids have every opportunity to succeed in life. But don't expect those things to give you true and lasting peace. You can't find it there. You can't find peace in your circumstances. Number two, you can't find peace from others. Don't look for peace from others. You know, one of the best, most important gifts God has given us are the people that he brings into our lives. People matter. Relationships are the most important thing we have in life. But they are not meant to be the ultimate source of our peace. And here's why it's important to understand that. Because we have a tendency to seek from others what only Jesus can provide, right? Because we are created by God to be loved by him, there is a need within every one of us to be loved. We all want to be loved unconditionally. The problem is you'll never find a man, you'll never find a woman who is able to love you unconditionally 100% of the time. Only God can do that. Because God created us, we have value. We have worth endowed into us by our creator. We are fearfully and wonderfully made. And because of that, within us, there is a desire to be valued. There's a desire to be affirmed that we have worth. And so we try to meet that need in the people around us. The problem is they never affirm us enough. Or they never say the right thing at the right time to give us the affirmation we need. Because that can only come from God. Some of you this morning have spent years running after love and affirmation 
from somebody who's never going to give it. Some of them maybe are even dead and gone. I don't know. Maybe it's that unpleasable parent or, or maybe it's that spouse who just walked out and abandoned you that caused you to feel like you could never be loved or, or maybe somebody told you that you were worthless and you've been running on that treadmill trying to be loved, trying to be affirmed, trying to feel valuable and trying to get that from the wrong people because people can't give it. Only God can. And if that's you this morning, I am convinced that God brought you here today to tell you, you don't need their love. You don't need their affirmation. The God of the universe loves and affirms your value, and he proved it on the cross. That's all you need. That's where peace comes from. Not the jacked up, messed up people like me or like your family. They can never be enough. You can't find peace from people. One of the most confusing things that Jesus ever said is recorded in Luke chapter 14. This is Jesus talking. Check it out. He says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brother and sister, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. What? That's crazy. I mean, what does Jesus mean? That in order to follow him, I need to hate my parents, my spouse, my kids, all the people around me? No, obviously not. The Bible tells us over and over again that we are to love the people around us. We are to honor our mother and father, right? That we are to love. In fact, the Bible says if you don't care for your own family, you are worse than a non-believer. So why would Jesus say this, that to follow him, we got to hate people? He's making an attention-getting comparison statement. Jesus makes this crazy statement because he's being followed by a big crowd of people, and he gets their attention. They're like, whoa, what is he talking about? And then Jesus uses that. What he's saying is that in comparison to how we view Jesus, we must be willing to let go of everybody and everything else. Not because he's some crazy cult leader. He's ego, you know, egotistical, maniacal, wants to isolate us and have us to himself. He just knows that people can't do for us what he can do for us. And he, compared to how we love and depend and need him, how we feel about our family in comparison is like hate. I tell you, reading that verse, it, it reminds me of, of my good friend, Pastor Pierre. Some of you know him. He's from Lebanon. He, he grew up in Lebanon and knew nothing but the whole civil war, fighting in battles when he was just a kid. And he lost so much family, parents, loved ones, a fiancé. He's had so much loss in his life and we've been friends for several years but over these last three months God has brought us together in a closer way over the shared pain of loss but God has given us a vision a plan a desire in our heart to steal from Satan what he has taken from us to bring hope to our community and a simple little way to do that we are inviting, first of the year, we are inviting all of the pastors in our community to just gather 
to pray. What a novel idea, right? You'd think pastors would do that, but can I tell you, it's not happening. Most of us, to be honest, as pastors are running around comparing, competing, thinking that we need our church to be bigger and we need these people to come to our church and we're so busy fighting one another as leaders in the kingdom that hurting people are dying and going to hell right here in our community and I'm no longer okay with that. And so God is going to bring pastors together. We can't do this. All we can do is invite. But imagine the shepherds of God's people leaders, just praying together, encouraging one another. I'm so blessed here as the pastor, not only an incredibly supportive church family, but an amazing staff and an amazing home group. Do you know 98% of the pastors in our community have nobody that they can be real with? Nobody that they can share their brokenness with. And so God is going to draw the leaders, the shepherds of this community, and who knows? what God will do through that. I I don't know why I tell you that, I guess, other than just to simply say, would you start praying about that? Would you just pray and just plead with God to move, to heal our churches by starting by healing our pastors and leaders? What are you looking for in the people around you? What are you desiring? What needs do you think you have to have them meet? What expectations do you have on your spouse, your kids, your friends, your parents? If you're expecting them to provide you peace, you'll never find it there. You can't find peace in your circumstances. You can't find peace from others. And then finally, number three, you can't find peace within yourself. Don't look for peace within myself. That's a tough one for us as Americans. We, we have this value about being independent. We're all about the rugged individual. Pull yourself up by your bootstraps. If you want it done right, just bow your neck and do it yourself. And listen, that's a great value for personal responsibility. And Lord knows we need a lot more personal responsibility in our society today. But it's not the route to peace. If you could create peace for yourself, you'd have a lot more of it than you do right now. See, true peace is not something we can create from ourselves, but it is a gift given to us by God. Isaiah 26, 12. Listen to what the prophet says. Lord, you establish peace for us. All that we have accomplished, you have done for us. The more you look for peace within yourself, the less peace you will find. But the more you trust God to give you peace, the more you will experience it. Buddha taught that the route to peace was the elimination of desires. That if you could just focus and remove any desire from your life, you'll find peace. Because, right? If you want for nothing, you will have everything you want because you want nothing, and that will give you peace. Here's the problem with that philosophy. God created us with needs and desires. You can't pretend that you don't 
have them. That's why Jesus taught that peace is not the absence of desires. It is trusting God to meet all my desires. That's why the Bible says when you trust God, he will give you the desires of your heart. But that doesn't mean that God becomes your personal vending machine, your genie in a bottle to grant your wishes to make you feel the way you want to feel or to give you the things that you think you ought to have. What that means is that all our desires are met in Jesus. That reminds me of the Christmas carol. I think it's old little town of Bethlehem that has that part that says the, what is it, the hopes and fears of all the years are met where? In thee tonight. Met in thee. And see, that leads us to the one and only place you can find true peace, and that is in Jesus. I can find peace in Jesus alone. See, the path to peace is through a relationship with God. And Jesus makes that possible. I mean, isn't that what Christmas is all about? Emmanuel, God with us. God for us. Because of Christmas, we can know what God is like. And we can know him. Jesus is not just the reason for the season. He is the reason we can have peace. Peace with God, peace with others, and peace within ourselves. In fact, if you look a little closer at the first carol the angels sang, glory to God in the highest, peace on earth, and goodwill towards men, a better translation of that is peace on earth goodwill to those in whom his favor rests. And God's favor rests on us when we are in a relationship with Jesus. That's where peace comes from. Look, I don't know what circumstances are swirling in your life this Christmas. I don't know what struggles you're dealing with. I don't know the pain and loss that you feel that Christmas just makes worse. I don't know what other people have said or done to you. I don't know what that is, but I know that I know that no matter what, you can find peace in Jesus. Notice this last verse on your outline, Psalm 62. Truly my soul finds rest in God. My salvation comes from him truly he is my rock and my salvation he is my fortress and I will never be shaken that's peace and that's what a relationship with Jesus offers so can I get really personal with you do you have a relationship with Jesus I'm not talking about knowing about him. I'm not talking about intellectual awareness of his biography. I'm not talking about occasionally throwing up a prayer and asking for his help when life gets tough. I'm talking about a deep, daily, intimate connection with Jesus. Do you have that? If not, 
because I love you. I want to offer you an opportunity to do that right now. So I'm just going to ask you, at all of our campuses, would you just right now close your eyes, just bow your head, no distractions. If you are a follower of Jesus, if you have a relationship with Jesus, would you just join me right where you are and just praying for his spirit to move right now. Just start praying that in your heart. But if you're not, if you've never taken that step, if you've never personally received the forgiveness that Jesus offers, and you want to take that step today, I can't think of a better way to celebrate Christmas. Would you just do this in your own heart, with your own words, in your own way? Would you first just admit your need? That's where it starts. Just admitting that you can't find peace on your own. Just admitting that, that no matter what you do, you are just like all the rest of us. You are a broken person living in a broken world and desperate in need of a Savior. And then would you ask Jesus to forgive you of those sins? Would you just confess that you are a sinner? Like the rest of us, you're broken. And would you just say, Jesus, I want your death on the cross to provide forgiveness for my sins. This is personal. This is not about some religion. This is about opening up your heart to the forgiveness and new life that Jesus offers. And then as you receive that forgiveness, would you just commit in your heart and ask Jesus to come into your life, to be the center, the manager, the controller, the CEO of your life moving forward. That you're finally ready to take yourself off the throne and live following him. Oh, Father, thank you that you freely give salvation to all of us and that with that salvation, we can truly experience peace that passes human understanding. A peace that's bigger than our circumstances. It's bigger than the pain that other people have caused us. It's bigger than the hurt that drives us to sobbing. It's deeper than all of that. Lord, we thank you. Would you move among your people today? If you prayed that prayer, we'd love for you to just share that with us. We're not going to blow you up with literature or bug you or embarrass you. We just like to come alongside you to help you take your next step in your journey of faith. Because Jesus is not just your Savior. He wants to lead and direct your life for his purposes. Just check that on the little tear-off. We'll follow up with you this week. But I want to know so that I can personally be praying for you as you begin this journey to peace through a relationship with Jesus. Lord, we love you and we thank you. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.